Well, it's my privilege now to open up the Word of God uh, together with us. As Christine alluded to, we are in the middle of our uh, 40 days of prayer campaign. Um, how many of you are, well, I shouldn't say that. Um, that would be, that's not fair to ask you to raise your hand. I hope all of you are participating with us. And uh, if you would like to uh, join with us online, uh, our blogs are online. And if you're not access to a computer or you'd rather have something in writing, there is a 40-day prayer packet for you in the foyer. You're welcome to pick that up. And to join us every day uh, is a prayer meditation for the next 40 days. Uh, I would suggest to you that it would be good to put the date of February 17th on your uh, calendar. Um, I know last week we miscommunicated a date and there was some confusion. So this is the date, uh, Sunday evening, uh, February 17th at 6.30. And we're going to meet here at our church facility. And if you can join us, uh, we will have a concluding all-church gathering in prayer as we think about our 40 days of prayer campaign. So if you have your Bibles now, I encourage you to open them up with me to John's Gospel, chapter 14. And I'd like to uh, share with you a, minister, uh, a, uh, a message which I have entitled A Model Prayer, uh, A-C-T-X. Christine uh, kind of mentioned a little bit about that, but I'd like to do that today from John 14. And I'd like to pray before I open God's Word. Now, Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide and direct us. Uh, use the word that you inspired uh, to touch our hearts. I pray, Lord, that the word of God would find a fertile soil and take root and grow and produce much fruit that lasts. Protect us, Lord, from that which is not from you, but all that is from you, use it for your honor and glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 14, beginning with verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. They will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. That's an amazing promise, isn't it? Central theme of this passage, of course, is prayer. Verse 13 talks about God asking God for something, and then it outlines what that something is. He's describing prayer as believers carry on their ministries to our community. He's speaking about doing the works that he is doing. Now, what in the world does that mean? What are the works that Jesus is doing that he tells us that if we pray, we will do? Well, in John's Gospel, the various miracles he does are described as signs. And just like there's a sign that says, uh, Highway 45, turn left, a sign directs us. A sign points to something. Signs are works, many times miracles that Jesus did, but not always, but uh, signs, the things that he did that point to Jesus, that direct us to his gospel, and that tell us that we can trust him. They are evidence that his message can be believed and that he can be trusted to do what he says he will do. 
And that's what verse 11 says. Look at verse 11. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Believe me on the, on the things that I do. Believe me on the basis of my signs. So a sign in John's Gospel points us to Jesus. In chapter 10, verse 25, he says, The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. So doing the works that Jesus did are works that point one another to Jesus. So we conclude then that um, applying this truth of pointing people to Jesus is what it means for us to be doing the works that Jesus did, pointing others to the gospel, pointing others to the Lord Jesus Christ. So three applications that Jesus makes. Verse 12, as believers pray, we will do the works Jesus was doing. Now, not necessarily raising the dead and feeding 5,000 and walking on water. Uh, I'm not sure that that's what we're supposed to be doing. But discussing the work that people can do that would influence others to believe the gospel and trust Christ. That is what he is talking about. Just like Jesus was doing. In fact, that was already happening with the 12 and the 70, wasn't it? He empowered them to go out and to share the works that Jesus was doing. He gave them the ability to do the same things he was doing so that he might be pointed to as one who was worthy of being trusted. So this verse tells us that we can do the same thing as we pray. As we pray, a wonderful promise is that we can do the things that Jesus did. We can point others to Christ. That's good news, isn't it? But then there's verse 13. Number two, as believers pray, we will do even greater works than Jesus was doing. Wow. What do you mean greater works than Jesus was doing? Well, notice the next phrase. Because I am going to the Father. In verse 15, Jesus promises that when he goes to the Father, he will send the Holy Spirit to us and we will be his witnesses. But there is something more than just being his witnesses that he is talking about here. Because he is going to the Father, there is a greater work that can be manifest. Because he is going to the Father, he is uh, telling us that when Jesus went to the Father, it means that his work on the cross is done. So Jesus says, my work on the cross is done, and I'm going to the Father, and that shows that my work on the cross is done. Um, Never before... Could someone proclaim the good news based on the finished work of Jesus? The prophets could only look forward to the finished work of Christ. Jesus himself could only look forward to the finished work of Christ on the cross. But we, on this side of the cross, can look back and say, well, we're not looking forward anymore. We're sharing the gospel because God, Jesus, has gone to the Father, which means that the work of the cross is done, and the works that we do now are robed in, or they're they're wrapped in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And this can't be overemphasized. 
When we share the gospel, we're not sharing that it is almost finished. We're not sharing that, well, you know, if you do this, maybe God will infuse your good works with God's grace, and then maybe you can glorify God and maybe you can be saved. We're not saying that we have to do good works in order to make ourselves acceptable to God. It is finished. It's done. Jesus went to the cross and he went to the Father. It's complete. We now have the privilege of sharing that good news. The new covenant is here. We just celebrated the new covenant in the blood of Christ. And this is a message that is greater than the message even that Jesus could share. Because he could only share what was going to happen. We share what has happened. And verse 13, that means we are to pray. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Praying in Jesus' name is not some magic formula that brings some super spiritual power. And sometimes we tack on in Jesus' name, amen, without really thinking about what that means. What that means is we are praying in the name of the one who completed his work on the cross and went to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit to us. And with all the implications of the finished work of Christ, we now pray. We are now thinking and sharing those things that point people to Jesus. Just like Jesus was pointing to himself pointing to the Father. We now point people to God based on what is finished. Not what we have to do, but what is finished, what is done. The implications of this are staggering because people carry around false guilt thinking, oh, I've got to do something to get rid of this false guilt. No, you don't. We can pray that God will give us freedom from false guilt because the work is what? Done. It's finished. Complete. And that's a work that Jesus couldn't share yet because he hadn't yet gone to the cross. But when we pray in Jesus' name, we are praying based on the finished work of Christ. We will then accomplish the works that Jesus accomplished, point others to him, just like he did with his signs. And then we will do greater works than he. We will point people to Jesus based on the finished work of the cross that's done. All that we accomplish and even greater things than Jesus did will be ours to share. And that is a tremendous yes for prayer. An incredible yes for prayer. When we pray in Jesus' name, we will be assured that we have the full, fruitful, faithful ministry and the power of the cross and the resources of the Holy Spirit with our prayers. And in Jesus' name means that our prayers are wrapped around all the things that we have uh, experienced in Christ. And therefore, we then can be Ministers of reconciliation point others to faith in Christ, others to a work of Christ that is done because Jesus went to the Father. Now, there's one more phrase 
that I think is the most important phrase in this whole paragraph. It's found in verse 13. Verse 13 says, I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that. Notice he doesn't say so that you can get whatever you want. He says, so that the Father might be glorified in the Son. Any prayer that asks God for anything other than to promote his glory will hit the ceiling and bounce right back on top of your head. Might as well not even pray it. Any prayer that prays for the glory of God, God hears. You see, it's quite possible, quite frankly, not very hard, to learn how to gather a crowd and call it a church. All you got to do is present a ministry that is self-centered. All you got to do is tell people what they want to hear. All you got to do is say something that's going to make people feel good. That promotes what we desire, that fulfills our dreams about us. People will flock. Because quite frankly, it's a hard world. It is, isn't it? It's a hard world. And everybody wants to hear something that, that is a soothing ointment to our open wounds, right? But that's not Christian life. You know what the Christian life is? The Christian life is actually a message of self-denial. Not self-fulfillment. And Christian prayer that enables us to do the works of Jesus and even the greater works of Jesus based on the finished work of Christ, Christ must be so that God might be glorified in the Son in whose name we pray. Author John White writes this, Prayer is being caught up in where God is going and in what God is doing. That's what prayer is. Being caught up in where God is going and what God is doing. Pastor Henry Blackaby, as you've read Experiencing God, shares a wonderful principle. All we need to do is have discernment to find out where God is working and then go join him. Because God is the one who will be glorified in this life. That's the message in this passage. Jesus is saying, as you pray about your church, as you pray about your ministry, in the power of the finished work of Christ, which means in Jesus' name, pray that God might be glorified. Then you will do what I am doing, and even greater things than I am doing, because my work is finished, and your message will be empowered by the finished work of the cross. And further, I will give you the Holy Spirit. I will empower you to uh, enable you to do all the work that God wants you to do on this earth. And you will glorify the Father. And I will bless you. Glorify the Father. And isn't really that what we want? We don't want to play church, do we? I don't know of anybody that wants to play church. 
nor do we want a self-centered ministry. We don't want ministry that's about us. We want ministry that's about God. We want a ministry to one another and to our community and to the world around us that lifts up the glory of God because God is the God of what? The impossible. Not us. Not our ministry. Not our church. But God is the God of the impossible. And so our prayers need to lift up God. And so here's my take-home thought for you. As we pray, let's make much of God. Amen? As we pray, let's make much of God. Not for us, but for His glory. Let's not make much of our programs, which are wonderful. Our talents, which are actually quite numerous in our congregation. Our history, which is honoring to the Lord. Our potential, which is incredible. Let's make much of God. Because when we make much of God, remarkable things will happen. When we make much of God... We will be rescued from wondering about, you know, I, I have this, this struggle as a pastor. God, help me to be a successful pastor so my colleagues will think I'm a good pastor. That's self-centeredness. God, and, and I've done this, I've been a pastor for 40 years. It's a constant battle. God, grow my church so that I can feel good about being a pastor. That's self-centeredness. And I'm learning to get to the point where I say, God, I don't care whether anybody thinks anything about me. I really don't care what happens in our church. The only thing I care about is that everything that I do and everything our church does and promotes is your glory. Period. And when we have that attitude, (laughs) I think the gates of heaven are going to open up because God's going to bring people to a church where he is glorified. I'm convinced of it. Let me make this illustration. and I, I gave this illustration in one of my prayer blogs this week, but I want to give it to you again. Jesus promised that if we have faith, we can move mountains, right? That's what he said. If you have faith, you will move a mountain. But I would suggest he's not talking about our faith. Our faith that we grow within, that we earnestly apply, does not move mountains. Because Jesus said, if we have faith as small as what? A mustard seed. We will move mountains. Because it's our faith in God who moves our mountains. How much faith in God do we need? Just a mustard seed. And if we have faith in God in a mustard seed, what's God going to do? We're going to plug into the power source of the universe and he's going to move our mountains. I don't have to create a program for that. I don't have to get up and have 
impeccable personal discipline for that. <laughs> I plug into God. And God moves my mountain. See, that's what it means to glorify God. But if we think it's our responsibility to muster up faith so that we can move a mountain, we're wasting our energy. It's not our faith that moves a mountain. It's the object of our faith that moves a mountain. And when God is the object of our faith, we can pray in the name of Jesus based on the finished work of the cross, and God will move our mountain. So therefore, let's make much of God in our personal lives and in our church. Everything that we do, let's make much of God in it. No matter what it is that we do, whether it's drinking coffee downstairs after church, whether it's fun club, whether it's any other ministry, let's make much of God. Because when we make much of God, we will be doing greater works than Jesus did. Because it's based on the finished work of cross, and God will be glorified. Uh, Joe Stoll was the um, former president of Moody Bible Institute. He writes this. If Christianity is dull and boring, sometimes you think Christianity is dull and boring. Sometimes it is. I mean, quite frankly, sometimes it's boring. If it's a burden and not a blessing, sometimes it's a burden, then most likely we're involved in a project not a person, a system, not a savior, rules rather than a relationship. Wow. You know, Christianity is the only religion that encourages us to have our faith in a person. Now, Buddhism doesn't do that. They say put your faith in the teachings of the Buddha. Islam doesn't do that. Islam says, put your faith in the teachings of the Koran. Hinduism doesn't do that. Hinduism says, uh, enter into this endless cycle and try to do good work so that you can, you can get out of reincarnation cycle. There's no other religion, there's no other faith that says, put your faith in a person. That's what we do. But the Bible says, put your faith in God. Make much of Him. And incredible things will happen. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. My favorite benediction, Ephesians 3.20. Now unto Him, God, who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to the power at work within us. Whose power? God's power. To Him who? God. Be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's make much of God in our church. Make much of God in our prayers. Well, I know my time is, is running out, but I want to tell you how to do that. You do that in four steps, and I'll, I'll be quick and brief on this. First thing you do is adoration. In our prayers, adoration makes much of God. In his profound book on prayer, Tim Keller writes this. He says, The Bible does not present an art of prayer, 
It presents the God of prayer. That's, that's really great, isn't it? It presents the God of prayer. We should not decide how to pray based on the experiences and feelings we want or even the desired outcomes that we want. Instead, we should do everything possible to behold our God as he is, and prayer will follow. The more clearly we grasp who God is, the more our prayer is shaped and determined accordingly. We will be giving God the glory. We will be making much of God in adoration. We don't simply recite words and repeat phrases. Jesus says that's meaningless in Matthew 6. He says in Matthew 15, 8, engage the heart. Engage the heart with the awe of God. Adoration begins with a reminder that we are adopted into the family of God. And thus we are beloved children who are praying to our loving Father. That's in Jesus' name. That's, that's all the things that happen in the finished work of the cross. Adoration is empowered by the Holy Spirit who prompts us and helps us to pray even when we don't know how. Adoration is a foundation of making much of God in our prayers. And then that leads us to confession. Any believer who is engaged in heart-motivated adoration will be overwhelmed with our sinfulness before God. We'll be undressed and exposed in our sinful state. And we will realize that any deliberate and intentional sin that we're living in leaves us on the outside looking in and we'll be motivated to go to 1 John 1, 9. And I think many of you know it. If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to make a comment about this verse. Have you ever pondered why John says he is not only faithful to forgive, but he's also just to forgive? What does it mean that he's just to forgive? Well, one thought that I think has a lot of merit. God determined that the only way for man to be reconciled to God is for Jesus to pay our sins and be our substitute on the cross, right? So Jesus did that. His work on the cross is what? Finished. And he went to the Father. If we confess our sins, and if God refused to forgive us our sins, that would make him unjust. But because the price has been paid, the price that he required has been paid, and we confess to, our, to him, because he's just, he says, well, in order for me to be a just God, uh, I forgive you. <laughs> the price has been paid. Isn't that good news? What does that do? That, that lifts up God. That makes much of God. That tells us that, boy, God is who he says he is. He will do what he says he will do. Confession is agreeing with God's plan for salvation. The opposite is self-centeredness. Well, God, I don't think you got it right. Uh, you know, your plan isn't really right. Well, Jesus says, confess, agree with God. In his plan. And adoration leads to confession. Confession leads to thanksgiving. And confession leads to thanksgiving. Now, um, quick story. Um, I was visiting my mom recently. Talking about the difficulties my sister is going through. My sister is going through some hard times. 
And, uh, you know, a, a mother reaches out and, and loves her children. And so I was wheeling her down to dinner on, in her wheelchair. We got in the elevator. She turned to me and she said, let's think about something happy. My mom's always been that way. When my dad died in 1965, um, it was devastating to our family. And we worked through all the various stages of grief and, you know, all the things. And when we finally got to the acceptance stage, mom continually said to us, think about the good things in life. Be thankful for what God has given you. Now, that didn't bring my dad back. But it helped us build a new life. And that's what Thanksgiving is. Thanksgiving gives us a heart of gratitude so that we can be thankful for what God has given to us. And that means we are making much of God. Um, I love the song by Newsboys. Sometimes contemporary Christian music musicians hit the nail on the head. I think this is one of them. Listen to the words of this song. Nothing can separate even if I run away. Your love never fails. I know I still make mistakes. You have mercy for me every day because your love never fails. You stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. Now there may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. The wind is strong. The water is deep. I'm not alone here in the open sea because your love never fails. The chasm is far too wide. I never thought I'd reach the other side, but your love never fails. You stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And when the oceans rage, I don't have to be afraid because I know you love me. Your love never fails. You can always be thankful for that. Something that God has given to us. And when we do, we are making much of God. And finally, thanksgiving opens a door to supplication. Um, That's another word for request. Uh, A more specific than a general prayer. It's kind of a zeroing in prayer, a prayer that zeroes in on something. Well, I like to suggest the order of ACTS is significant for this reason, and it's found in verse 14. Look at verse 14. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Good heavens. (laughs) You can ask me anything? Well, if we begin with adoration and make much of God, which leads to confession, which makes much of God, and results in thanksgiving, which makes much of God, We would never ask for anything except that which would bring glory to God. In other words, the only thing we would ever ask for is that God would be glorified in this circumstance. God, will you be glorified in our church? Will you be glorified in this program? Will you be glorified in this illness? Will you be glorified in this circumstance? Will you be glorified in my problem? You see, that's how we do the works of Jesus and even 
greater works than Jesus because our prayers are wrapped in the finished work of the cross. And therefore, we can make much of God. When, I, when my daughter was growing up, she, uh, she participated in lots of sports. And um, I was listening to uh, the Christian radio, and that's when Promise Keepers was really big. And uh, we were told as dads that our responsibility is to support our kids. You better get to those games. You better support your kids. You better do this, you know, and I kind of felt, hmm. But then I thought to myself, no, wait a minute. It's, it's really not my duty to support my daughter. So I bought a sweatshirt for her basketball team. And on the shoulder, I didn't put my name. I put Britt's dad because I wanted to make much of her. And you know, that's not a duty. That's a delight. Pray that God will fill you with delight as you make much of him. It's not a duty. It's a delight. My favorite thing is to be Britt's dad. May our favorite thing be we are God's children. Let's make much of God in our prayers. Father in heaven, I pray now that you'd help us to really grapple with and, and get this principle down because it undergirds everything. Uh, reveal to us where we're self-centered in life. Help us to be God-centered in everything we do. May we make much of you especially in our prayers. We pray this wrapped in the truth of the finished finished work of Jesus in the cross. In his name, amen.